I have to do an intro for today's episode because this is a podcast interview that is like six years in the making, truly. This is one of my, like since I started my podcast, this has been a dream guest of mine to interview. And what I think is so incredible and full circle about this experience for me is that when I started my podcast, this felt like a pipe dream. Like it felt like there was no way that this could ever happen. And it happened. I got to interview Tony Robbins. And Tony, if you're not familiar, is really the godfather of modern day personal development. Personal development has gone back, I mean, forever, you know, to Earl Nightingale and, you know, positive thinking tapes on, um, not even on tape, on old records. So it's something that has existed for a really long time, but kind of the way it's practiced today, the idea of going to a conference and immersing yourself or reading certain books or working on mindset, that is really, this industry is really in a lot of ways built around him and his success. And whether you know him or don't, whether you like him or don't, um, he, as a sort of figure, has played a huge role in my life and the work that I do. You maybe have heard me talk about this, but um, about six years ago, I went to UPW, which is one of Tony's conferences. UPW stands for Unleash the Power Within. So it's a, I want to say maybe four days. And I took my team from work and we drove to San Jose from Los Angeles and we rented an Airbnb and we all went to this personal development conference. And I can tell you without question, there were five of us there and each of us have very different personality types, and every single person was changed for the better by that experience. Every single person got something different out of it. Uh, Jack, who is, you guys may know, he's my producer and longtime collaborator. Like Jack had this dream to own a van and um, sort of trick out the inside and make it like a small home. And I remember that that was his big takeaway from UPW. I was over there like, I want to be, I want to have a media company and I want to like be ambitious and do these things. And I want to have a conference and I want to teach women because I think that it's different. I think personal development shows up differently for us. And I want to create content for women that serves them and loves them. Like Jack decided to like, you know, fit out the interior of a sprinter van. And I decided to like start Rise Conference, but we all got something out of the experience and so many good things came out of it. And honestly, it was a dream forever to get to sit down with him. I have opened up for him twice, meaning like I was the keynote that went on stage before him. But in both of those experiences, I never got to meet him. And I always just feel like things will happen when they're supposed to and things will happen when the timing is right. And even this time when they said, hey, you know, we'd love to have you sit down with Tony and we were planning it and everyone was like, aren't you excited? How are you feeling? And I just kept thinking until I'm actually sitting with him, I'm not going to believe that it's happening because I had just been dreaming about it for so long. It had been in my Start Today journal for so long. I had been writing it down for so long that I just was holding it very loosely. And I do think that that's 
a really powerful way to approach any big goals that you have in your life is I stay very focused on them, but I hold them loosely. I just believe that God is going to deliver those things. The universe is going to deliver those things like when it's meant to happen. And I'm so happy with how it happened because it like if I had gotten to meet him five years ago or three years ago or even two years ago, I don't think it would have been the experience that it was. I don't think, like I just kept saying to myself and like my boyfriend, because he was like, oh, are, are you like freaking out? And I just kept saying, I just want to be present in my body. That was my goal when I met Oprah. Like when I meet people that I admire so much, I just don't want to be so excited or so freaked out that I'm, I don't feel any of it and I'm not present. So I just kept thinking like, I want to be present in this experience. And if I let myself get too excited, I'm not going to be able to do that. So it was, I flew into Miami from Austin to go sit down with him and, you know, I'm taking care of my babies and I like, I don't want to be gone a second longer than I need to. So I really, I flew in that morning, was meant to interview him in the afternoon, stayed one night and then flew home the next day. But the interesting thing about flying out in the morning, I took a 7 a.m. flight. I wasn't interviewing him till 2.30, plenty of time. I like took a shower, but I didn't put makeup on and I was wearing sweats, like sweatpants. I didn't do my hair, nothing. I just like jumped on a plane and fully intending that when I got there, I would, you know, get cute, put on this cute outfit I had planned, do my hair, do my makeup. And I got to the hotel and my room wasn't ready. And I still had like a couple of hours until I need to leave. So I'm like, it's fine. Like that'll be ready. And just the minutes keep ticking by and it gets closer and closer. And I realize at some point, like, oh my gosh, I'm about to go do this interview. He's on a press tour. He's interviewing with all these people. I'm about to go to this interview. I'm about to go to his home and I have not brushed my hair today. Like I, I'm not going to be able to put on makeup. I'm not going to be able to put on a cute outfit. And I just was like, so at peace with the whole thing. It made me really proud because I thought if this is ha- if this had happened a couple of years ago, I like would have freaked out. I would have thought that I needed to show up in a certain way in order to earn my right to sit in that room. Does that make sense? I had to really get out of that mentality or that way of thinking and have been really intentional. Maybe you guys see this if you, you know, watch the podcast on YouTube is I'm really intentional. Like sometimes I'm wearing makeup and sometimes I look cute. And sometimes like right now I didn't brush my hair. I'm just, it is what it is because I'm really trying to emphasize for myself as a woman that my intelligence my ability to be a good podcast host, my ability to write well, to communicate with you, to create great content has absolutely nothing to do with the way that I look. For a very long time, I thought I had to look a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way, be a certain way in order to be taken seriously. And so I just thought like, oh, it's such a cool thing to get to sit down with someone I'd wanted to interview for so long and just do it as myself. And it really did take so much pressure off me. I think that if I had like gone through the full, like, you know, glamorizing myself or, you know, putting on makeup or whatever, it just would have added a bit of, I don't know, 
something to the experience that I didn't want there. So I ended up showing up at his house wearing exactly what I wore on the plane. And it was great because I was so comfortable. Like I literally sat like crisscross applesauce and interviewed him like on a comfy chair. And I just, I really appreciated the experience. I'm, I'm so glad that I got to meet him and connect with him in real life and really, truly experience this person who, if you've ever seen him at conference, he is bigger than life. He is larger than life. He, he He's like at my conferences, I speak on stage for five hours and I feel like that's superhuman. He literally will teach for 12 hours for days and days in a row. And you're like, how? This guy is like an alien. It can't, this cannot be real. And I was so grateful to get to sit with him in real life and like meet the human being who was so sweet and his energy was so tender and so real and so like loving and just n- not there's there's something to be said for the person who shows up on stage at a UPW cuz man that energy kicked my butt at the exact moment in life when I needed my butt kicked but I was really blessed to get to meet the real person So got to talk to him about, we talked about health and how to have better energy and mindset and the three most important questions you can ask yourself. And it's a really tactical conversation. But truthfully, my favorite part is the end of our chat because I just, I really wanted to be able to connect with Tony on a level that wasn't maybe always what he's used to talking about. And I try really hard in all of my interviews. My intention is to give the best interview to give y'all information. Like I want to give you the tactics and the ideas from these guests. So I don't really interview people asking them what I'd like to know. I try an interview asking what I think the audience wants to know. But at the end, I was like, you know what? This is my last like moment with him. I really just want to ask him something that's like from me and from my heart. And I asked him a question and he ended up getting really emotional and he ended up crying. And then I was crying and like the crew was crying and just was like this beautiful, very unexpected moment. And The incredible thing about Tony is that he is present and he does his best to serve well, which often means that what was meant to be a 45-minute conversation became two hours, which is what happened in our case. So this episode is so great that I'm turning it into a two-part series. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast.
<laughs> I'm doing great. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I mean, I'm freaking out, but other than that, I'm doing really well. What are you freaking out about? Uh, this is just, this is a culmination of a lot of years of seeing this moment and not knowing that it would come to fruition in quite this way. But now I'm sitting here, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this makes sense. That's this great. feels I'm right. Glad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pumped. And we've spoken at um, I've, I've gotten to speak at a couple of your events, but I've never actually met you. So to be sitting in your house. I've been passing running. I was, yeah. I was following you right afterwards. Yeah. And we kind of passed for two seconds. Yeah, yeah, so it's rad. You know, the new book is all about health. And I was just curious, coming off of two years of everything shifting for so many people, what are some of the things that you've seen? How, like, how has that affected people mindset-wise? I think we've all seen, unfortunately, right? You've seen uh, last year, I think it was the highest number of overdoses on drugs, suicide for kids, ide- ideation of suicide, actual suicide. But um, I think it was the CDC that said one in five kids under the age of 30 considered suicide during that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty horrific. Johns Hopkins uh, just did a study talking about the lockdowns and their impact and what they, unfortunately, no one understood they would do. And so our kids, I think, is the biggest piece. I was fortunate here to be in Florida. so. You know, we've been open the whole time. Our kids have been in school, but in so many places, the kids aren't in school. They're forced to wear a mask. Right. And so, and the science has been evolving. And as it's been evolving, unfortunately, there have been consequences. So I think there's a lot of fear out there, obviously, still. But I also think there are a lot of people that are kind of fed up and ready to move to the next level of their lives right. after two years. And I think that's healthy because we have to restore our children. Right. We have to restore the environment. And we also have to learn how to live with risk. Yeah. I mean, it's a four-letter word now. And if you saw the people that started our country, they had a one in three chance to make it for a year. Right. Uh, they would, I think, be turning over in their grave at how much we've been conditioned. And it's nobody's fault. It's in the media environment we're in. Uh, media people are really care. I don't think they're trying to harm anybody. I think they're, most of them are trying to educate people. But, you know, they also have to enrich their shareholders. And the only way that is get your attention. Absolutely. And unfortunately, you know, it's not about informing you anymore. It's about startling you. When I startle you, I get your attention. And so we live in a world where a whole series of things happened we didn't understand, and we overreacted perhaps in some cases, maybe underreacted in others. But what it's left people with is a lot of uncertainty. And so one of the things I wanted to do was to bring to people that, like, we're living in this one place where everybody feels like they're vulnerable, and yet we're actually at one of the greatest times in human history that most people don't know about. Right. Because the average doctor cares so deeply, um, but the half-life of medical education today, according to Harvard, is between 18 and 24 months, yeah, which means... Yeah, that was a trip when I read that and, it, and by the way, that was in 2017. They said by this time, 2022, it would be 73 days, which means you'd spent your entire lot, four years, and, and additional education, obviously, but those initial four years, work your guts out, and literally half of that's gone. Say, let's, let's call it a year and a half later. So who educates that person, unfortunately, is the pharmaceutical salesperson. Mm. And that's how we had the opioid crisis, because they lied. So imagine you're a doctor caring about people and you want to do anything to help them get out of pain. Oh, this is totally great. They won't get addicted and they get addicted and die. I mean, doctors are in the worst position ever because things happen so fast today and there's only so much they can do. You know, I I, I often tell my friends, sometimes they get frustrated. Their doctor doesn't have the answer. It's like, hey, chill out a little bit. Imagine you're walking by a river and you're a devoted person. This book is filled with the best doctors in the world, best scientists, best Nobel laureates, 150 of them I interviewed to make this work. So none of it's my opinion. But I said, you meet these people, the most dedicated human beings. You probably have a doctor who's totally devoted, will probably give up their own health for you. So the metaphor is you're walking along and you hear somebody in the river and they're drowning. It's like, 
They don't care about themselves. They'll dive in, pull you out, give you mouth to mouth. But as soon as they do that, they hear two more screams. Get one, save them, get others save them. They're exhausted. They hear four more screams. They don't have time to go upstream and see who's throwing them in. So this book is about what's upstream so you can avoid ever being in that position, right? right. And so we're trying to find the breakthroughs that are there. Because right now, Rachel, what's happening is most people know technology has grown dynamically. About every 18 months, we double in power and half in cost. That's why you know, I had one of the original cell phones. You're probably too young to remember, but I had one. It was you know, a foot long. It weighed two pounds. It cost $4,000. That'd be $10,000 today. Right. And you had to charge it for six hours to get 30 minutes of talk time. Right? And now you've got your Apple phone that you get for free with a contract. And it's 100 times the power of what the Apollo mission took someone to the moon in the back. Right. So, so technology is going really rapidly now on our bodies because we are code, meaning I'm sure you've heard about CRISPR and gene editing. I mean, there, there's a young man that was on America's Got Talent that can see now again because of gene therapy. Wow. There are children who have uh, sickle cell anemia that it's cured. We're not talking about, you know, it's we're dealing with it. We're talking about pure cures, taking it right out of the DNA. Mm. So things like that are happening. And then things less high tech, but they're just as powerful. So, you know, people have osteoarthritis, tens of millions of people. It's unbelievably painful. So they've always taken all these painkillers, which are not good for you, right? And so there's a company right now that's in third phase of the FDA, so your audience knows. Mm-hmm. First phase is safety. Second is effectiveness, efficacy. And then the third one is efficacy at scale. And then you get approved. So they're in that final stage. So if they get approved, which they think they will in the fall of this year or beginning next year, you take a single injection and your whole body's racked with arthritis or you have a knee, whatever it is, you regrow all your tendons in 11 months because your own stem cells are stimulated by this thing called the Wnt pathway. And literally you grow like 16-year-old tendons, even you're 40, 50, 60 years old, 70 years wow. old, because it takes the original code and uses it to regrow your tendons. I mean... People that have anxiety or PTSD, uh, you know, one of the tragedies in our country right now, and a, a lot of moms are dealing with this uh, with somebody else in their family, perhaps, or maybe a father or somebody, but people who go to war and come back, or people who have been through rapes, or they've right. been through horrific things. You know, I, I work uh, with Underground Railroad. Um, we've sponsored literally, I guess now, almost 18,000 children to free them. And these kids have been locked up in the most horrific situation, being used how do you turn them around? It's so inside. So I know how to do that. I've had a gentleman years ago that came to my date with Destiny, and he had he'd been to both Afghanistan and Iraq, dark glasses because the lights alone could oh, set him God, off, yeah. night sweats, shakes, everything, right? Just horrific. You know, by the end of two hours, I got his glasses off, got all of it out. I actually brought him on CNN, and the female producer cried when she met him because she saw how he was and saw how he changed. But if I work 24 hours a day, can't, I can't, can't catch the 22. Yeah. So I look for a scalable solution. Well, Rachel, right now there's a single injection. The Army has just found, done a three-year study, 85% successful in getting rid of anxiety and PTSD extreme. So, wow. like, I sponsored 100 vets. The first vet I ever sponsored, I'll never forget because I'm still in touch with him, writes me and says, I just got back from Afghanistan. I, you know, I have him, he's like, having to be able to hug my children, have me able to even be around my wife. He goes, everything makes me either enraged or the world's in black and white. Mm. And he said, there's no color to my life. And I tried to commit suicide twice. You didn't know me personally. I just created the sponsorship. And he said, so I just want to thank you. He said, 20 minutes after the shot, I still have the memories, but none of the emotions. Wow. 
Wow. And he said, like, everything is, everything is in color again. He said, I went and hugged my wife and children for the first time. And, and he's helped me get other people to be, go through the program. Literally 85% successful. It's a shot that when you get stuck in what's called sympathetic, you know, really adrenalized, mm-hmm. which is what PTSD is, uh, it literally breaks the pattern. So usually it's one shot or a maximum of two shots one week apart. And the entire nervous system resets. So we're living in a world where things that seemed impossible are here right now. Mm. They're not things that are 20 or 30 years in the future that you might guess. And so I wanted to take all of these things, the simple things you can do with your body, whether you sleep and breathe and exercise, of course, those also, and little shortcuts there. But also, what are the things you can do for your kids? What can you do for your spouse? (laughs) Most importantly for women, what can you do for yourself? Because I got to tell you, like, I I have a house full of women, as you can see, I've got a... I've got five kids and lucky five grandkids. Lucky, very lucky me. <laughs> but I have a 10-month-old daughter now. That was COVID. We said, we'll give it one last chance. Mm. And so, and I have a 48-year-old daughter. Mm. <laughs> so, so my respect for women is through the roof. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how a single mom with even one child versus multiple child, children or single mom, working mom, how they do it. Because, you know, I've been through this, this for a while. I got five kids and five grandkids. But at this stage of my life again, seeing what my wife goes through, what my family goes through here to bring this beautiful soul in the world. And every man here is blessed because we all came through a woman. Right. Nobody made it without a woman. So there's an entire chapter on women's health that I did not write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the book, I brought everybody together, but I want it to be written from women's perspectives. Yeah. So Dr. Carolyn DeLuca and two other incredibly brilliant physicians and showing women solutions that aren't often talked about and how they can find solutions after having a baby, what happens to you hormonally, what happens to you physically, what happens to your desire for intimacy. And so there are some peptides that will, if you want to recreate that desire that actually do it, men have blue pills, not just blood flow. For a woman, it's a lot more. She's trying to think about the kids and the house and themselves and her work and make a difference in the world. And maybe they've got a spouse and it's like, how do I do all that? Men tend to be able to just focus on one thing at a time. Women's brains work differently. Absolutely. But this is a neurological tool. It's just simple peptides, little molecules that trigger the brain to be able to feel that enjoyment again. Or lasers that change the texture of what's happened to a woman. Literally, painless lasers that overnight, there's one woman who, you know, had incontinence, she's only 41 years old, Mm -hmm. but she's had three children and really rough situation and never even told her husband that she doesn't, it's not that she doesn't love him or doesn't want him, but couldn't enjoy the essential experience right. of life. One treatment with this femi laser, and she's now able to have that intimate experience and want it and experience it. So just most people give up because if you go to standard of care, you'll find where I was just with Dr. Peter Diamond, who's a good friend of mine. He's a rocket scientist and a Harvard MD. And he was just talking about the fact that he just read the recent study that in almost every industry in medicine, it's about 20 to 22 years behind what the latest situation is. Mm. And so I experienced that myself when I had a, something happen to me that was supposed to end my career. So what we're trying to do is bring people the best, keep it really simple, and say, here's where your options are that people don't even know are options. Right. But does this feel like sort of a, a response to almost the hopelessness that we've sort of encountered? I didn't intend it that yeah. way. Yeah. But it is. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, hope to me is a good strategy. A better strategy is, is an experience. Right. Right? Hope's a good place to start. But if I can give you something, an experience, then you know it's true. Yeah. And so what we try to do is create things that people could experience quickly and go, it's more than hope. This is real. Right. But I didn't, I didn't write the book, honestly, initially for that intent. I wrote it because <laughs> I got really messed up. I, I've always had this fear of cancer. I don't know. Have you, have you ever had any major fears about any particular 
disease in your uh, life? I have a lot of mental illness in my family. Okay, and so I have an older brother who is schizophrenic. In my family, there was cancers. And yeah. I was really young. I, I worked 20-hour days, and I was blessed to be able to work with some really amazing people and turn their lives around, business people, politicians, some extraordinary athletes. So by the time I was 20, I was, you know, rocking it, so to speak. And then, you know, I don't know, that part of your brain that most of us have in there, that survival brain kicks in every now and then and starts telling you stuff. You know, like all the lies you wrote about in your right. book, right? right. That's, that's where it comes from. Yeah. It doesn't come from your heart. Right. It doesn't come from your spirit. It doesn't right. come from God. Right. It comes from the survival brain that it's no longer needing to avoid a saber-toothed tiger right. and make us freeze or make us, you know, fight or flight. So now we worry about what people think about us or do we have enough money or how do we look or are we enough and all those things. So what happened for me was all of a sudden my brain started going, you're going to die young. That's why it all happened so quick. And I didn't just think it, Rachel. I started obsessing about it and I'm smarter than that. But when you get in that locked place, I wasn't there every moment. I started dreaming about not dying by being hit by a truck. That'd be easy, you know, slowly through cancer. And so if you focus on something enough, Hell yeah, you're going to manifest that. So I manifested first. Secondly, myself, it first started with my girlfriend's mom. She comes home one day crying hysterically. My mom, my mom, mom what? She's cancer. They're giving her nine months to live. And I think if it would have been me as a mom, as a dad, you and I both know, we'll do more for those we love than we'll do for ourselves. And so when you know that, it's good to use it. But I think God used it for me. Because if it me, I probably would have been overwhelmed. But because it was her, I was like, I'm going to solve this. And, you know, I'm Mr. Solution. I study everything, synthesize it. So I said, listen, success leaves clues. I learned that from my original teacher, Jim Rohn, right? I was like, there are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people have been stage four cancer, told they're going to die in our life. I'm going to find out what they did. Right. Because they did something different than other people, right? And so I started reading books. And I found this book called What Answer to Cancer? not the book I'd recommend today because there's better tools, but this is, you know, 40 years ago. And it was written by a man who was a dentist who had pancreatic cancer, which is the most deadly. They gave him six weeks to live. And 12 years later, he writes this book and he's totally healthy and vibrant. And so he had this process of detoxing the body and then giving the body certain nutrients that it needed. And and so bottom line is I gave this one. Her name was Jenny. She was in her early 40s. And I said, Jenny, they say you're going to die. I said, I know you don't want to die. And we're both Christians. And we prayed about it. And I said, so I know you've prayed about it. There's got to be a solution. Please read this book. I don't know if it's the end all and be all, but this guy had pancreatic and much more severe than yours. Why don't you give it a shot? And she, at the time, she had a tumor that was protruding on her shoulder and she had some in her feminine organs, right? It metastasized. So it was pretty brutal. That's why they gave her nine weeks to live. And she, and I also gave her the book, As a Man Thinketh, Mm -hmm. you know, to help her guide her mind a little bit. And so I'm just turning 20 years old, and all of a sudden, I witnessed this woman transform. Like in two, three weeks, her energy was back. She felt vital. She wasn't in pain all the time. And about eight, 10 weeks into it, you couldn't find anything physically on her body. You couldn't even touch and feel it. And so after she'd outlived when they said she was going to die, the doctor finally said, well, maybe we should do exploratory surgery. So she comes to me. Imagine this, Rachel. Somebody comes to you, and you're just 19, just turning 20, and somebody says, should I do it or not? I'm like, <laughs> like I don't. I said, I'm, you know, if I tell you no and you die, I said, I can't tell you what to do, but if it was me, you're making a lot of progress. I'd at least wait. But the doctor convinced her. They did the exploratory surgery and they find in her entire body, the only thing found was a piece of a tumor the size of my pinky fingernail compared to what it had been. So the doctor said, this is a miracle. And she said, it is a miracle, but I did my part. Let me tell you what I did. He goes, no, this is a miracle. I don't want to hear what you said. There is no such thing. 
And so she started speaking at churches. She's now in her mid-80s, totally alive today. But she's responsible for this book to some extent because she changed my mindset from fear, like most people have about COVID, to, no, I can, I don't have to be a victim of this, and made me a biohacker. So then I become this crazy guy that's on stage, you've seen, 12, 14 hours a day for four or five days with 10, 15, 20,000 people in a stadium holding them. Well, that takes unbelievable energy. So I learned everything I could to build my body. And then I'm 32, and what happens? Tumor. Where does it come from? I don't even know I have it. I go, I'm a helicopter pilot. So I go to get, uh, you know, every two years you have to get approval. So you have to get another physical. And I go to this FDA physical. And- also, I just feel like you just threw out casually. I'm a helicopter pilot. So when <laughs> I didn't acknowledge it, because I'm still processing what you just said. And I feel like, okay, sure you are. Also, I like, I, like to, and, I like to learn things right? that are great. I love to take people right. flying. Flying is such of a course. beautiful gift. I hope right? you're taking me later tonight. <laughs> that feels fun. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no but it's, it's not <laughs> But But because of that, I get this physical. I probably wouldn't have. Otherwise, I'm fit. I'm 32. There's nothing to think about, right? So many cancers happen now at that early stage of life. And so I get this call, and my assistant keeps saying, the doctor keeps calling, wants to talk to you. And I said, please ask him. Just send the report. I was you know, like, your life. And you know what it's like. Right. Go, 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 go. I'm leaving for the south of France for a seminar. I come home that night, and there's a note taped to my door from my assistant saying, you must call the doctor. He says it's an emergency. And it's unfortunately at home after midnight. So I call, no answer. And what happens in your head? I don't oh, know yeah. about you, You're but like, I'm like, I'm dying. Someone's dead. I'm dying. I'm dying. We're like, I was like, but, this, but I'm going, it's not possible. I'm so religious. I take care of my, but then I'm like, yeah, but I fly all the time. There's all this radiation, maybe. So, you know, the head goes crazy. So, then, fortunately, at that point, I found a way to center myself. And I had this whole thing of that. I still use it today, actually, that, you know, to coward dies a thousand times. A courageous person wants, right? So, I'm not going to think of every scenario. Let me wake up in the morning and figure it out. Woke up with foreboding, called the doctor. And he says, I'm sorry to inform you, Mr. Robbins, but you have a tumor in your brain. And I'm like, what? How could you possibly know that? I came for a physical. You didn't do anything related to scanning my brain. Right. He said, well, I know she have a lot of growth hormone. I said, where'd you get that brain from? My hands bigger than your head. I got a 16 shoe. I grew 10 inches in a year. I'm six foot seven. How'd you figure that out? Yeah. Right? He goes, this is not funny. I said, well, he said, because of that, I thought you might have gigantism. And I did some blood tests. And you have enormous amount of growth hormone in your body. And so there's a pituitary tumor. That's the only way we can resolve this level of growth hormone. So we need to do a scan on you, an MRI, and put you in surgery immediately. I'm 32 years old. Everything's like top of my world. What? So I did not respond well, I have to be honest. I was like, but wait a second. I said, well, let's say this was true. What's the prognosis? He said, well, I have to inform you before surgery. You can die, but it's unlikely. But you're... Your, your hormones are not going to be the same. Your, your whole system will be different and you should not plan on the kind of energy you have. And I'm like, I don't have the energy. That's my life, right? So I said, you, you know, could you recommend somebody for a second opinion? And he was a very gruff guy. Most doctors are not like this, but he was a very gruff guy. He didn't like being questioned. And so sure enough, you know, because of Jenny, I knew the importance of a second opinion. But I want your audience to know something as an yeah. aside. The Mayo Clinic here in this country in 2017 did a study now that he's used over and over again. 287 patients got a first opinion, got a second opinion. The second opinion was the same as the first opinion, only 12% of the time. That means 88% of the time it was different. So now even the Mayo Clinic says, even our doctors get a second opinion, and they believe by getting a second or third opinion, you refine the diagnosis. I didn't know that, but I knew from my own experience, second opinion. 
He was not happy. And I thought, you know what? There's nothing wrong with me. I'm going tomorrow morning south of France. I'm going to go do my seminar. But, you know, about three days into the seminar, my brain's like, am I going to die? Do I really have a tumor? My brain's going to explode. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like your mind. And I know I run my mind a lot better now, but I didn't have much mastery then. And it's a scary thing. So I came back and did the scan. I see the guy when I'm coming out of the tube. And by the look on his face, I knew it was there. Guy told me, yes, you got it. It, it swallowed a little of itself up. We can't explain how, but it's huge. It's there. It's forcing this growth hormone and we must do surgery. So I decided, let me get another opinion. Let me go to an endocrinologist, not a surgeon, see if he has a different point of view. I flew to Boston because I had a friend who knew one of the top endocrinologists. Completely different guy. Like, I'm, hopefully you have a doctor out there if you're listening who's like this, totally heartfelt, heart-centered. It's hard, though. These doctors lose people. So I understand why they can get harsh, right? Yeah. They're trying to protect themselves. Beautiful man. I, like, I just loved hanging with him. And he says, now you do have this tumor. And we do need to do something, but don't do the surgery under any circumstances. He said, that is way too risky. There's this new drug in Switzerland. You can fly once a year, twice a year, every six months, get this injection, and then your arteries around the heart won't get so big. Gigantism, that's how you die. Hmm. So I was like, okay, doc. Um, but I said, didn't you just tell me my arteries are the perfect size for my heart right now? He said, yes. I said, why would I do this then? He said, well, just to be certain. That way you'll be certain it won't happen. I said, well... What if I'm already certain? Or more importantly, what if I just measured it along the way? I mean, there could be side effects from the drug. He goes, there's no side effects from this drug. It's really a great drug. I've seen some of the studies. It's fantastic. And I finally said, well, what if I didn't do it? I said, this doc wants to, he goes, well, the baker wants to bake. <laughs> the surgeon wants to cut. I'm an endocrinologist. I want to drug you. He right. was just so honest and so yeah. beautiful. But he goes, you want to, you could measure it each year. And if it got bigger, then apply it. I said, I think that's what I'm going to do. Sure enough, six months later, the drug never made it through the FDA in the U.S. because it had to cause cancer. So I missed another bullet. Wow. And then the end of the story is I went to six different doctors after him. And the last one says to me, Tony, you do the equivalent of two and a half marathons in a weekend mm -hmm. physiologically. He said, I've never seen anybody recover two days later like you have. He said, that growth hormone, I think, is how you're able to recover. It's like a gift from God. I was like, I like that belief system. Right? Yeah. It feels a lot better. Made me big so I could serve in a different yeah. way. Made me strong. And he said, and I know bodybuilders that spend $1,200, you know, a month. Trying to get this. Trying to get that same system. amount of hormone yeah. you're getting for free, buddy. Yeah. You know, so, so I'm now 62 in a few weeks. This was 32. 30 years later, I've measured each year. There's been no problem. I'm fine. And the reason I tell the story is because most of us overreact. Mm. It's just like COVID, right? You know, it's like, what makes people die of COVID, according to the CDC, other than being really elderly with immune system compromised? It's being obese. And we can do something about that. It's the number one factor. 79.8, 80% of people that died of COVID were obese. Wow. And most people know that now, but we don't talk about it. And we can. It's like, want to get out of fear? Let's do something to take care of you. Right. But, but there's none of that. And then you know what the number two is? I don't. I put this in the book because I couldn't even believe the CDC acknowledged this. They say the number two factor of dying is fear, anxiety and fear. Because wow. the brain, when you get really fearful, it's known as psychoneuroimmunology, turns off your immune system. Hmm. Your brain, when you get fearful, changes your heartbeat, makes right. it erratic. Your blood right. pressure changes. Everything changes, right? So part of what you really want to learn to do is take control of your head and your mind. And then here's the final thing that happened. Why oh, I finally wrote this book. I'm giving you that background because I want your audience to know I'm the six foot seven guy, and some people see me on stage, didn't tell those people, and they think like he's some indestructible creature. 
I'm not. I have the same fears. I've had the same challenges that I know many people in your audience do. And I want them to know that we can turn those around because there's new answers, but you got to educate yourself. And so the final step in that chapter was about four years ago, I'm being an idiot. I'm coming down in Sun Valley on a snowboard following a young semi-professional snowboarder who clearly has moves I don't have. And I wiped out. I thought I broke my neck. It was so painful. I tore all my rotator cuffs. And the pain, I've lived with pain. It was 9-9 pain on a 0-10 to 10 scale because it was nerve pain. Like, yeah, I couldn't sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I slept an hour and one night, hour and 15 minutes the other night. And then I found this device, and I'll plant seeds with your audience. They're in the book. It's called a PEMF. If anybody in your audience has significant pain, they got to look in this device. And they don't have to own one. There are many people that have them, doctors that have them. But it's a pulse electronic magnetic frequency. It's a mouthful, right? And somebody came and treated me with it. And my pain went from 9.9 to 5 where I could sleep for the first time. And it was a miracle. It's got 3,000 studies. If you've broken a bone, it'll, like you care about your kids, you treat them with this and it grows back, it heals back in 50% of the time. Tons of studies, nerve replacement. But it wasn't enough for the amount of damage I did to heal it completely. So what do you do? Go to your doctor. So I go to one doctor and I know to get more than one opinion. He's like, surgery, immediately, surgery, surgery. And then I was like, well, what are the, what's the prognosis? Well, you may not be able to lift your arm above your shoulder ever again. I mean, this is my life, right? <laughs> you know? How are you going to make your move? <laughs> How are you going to make my move like this? Or tell the DJ to right? stop playing the music. <laughs> and then four to six months of rehab. So you can imagine me on stage with one arm trying right. to make those happen. So I said to him, I said, like, there's got to be a better solution. And then the fourth guy said, and says to me, Tony, at first, he tells me, oh, my God, you saved my marriage. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I mean, I didn't know he was a client or had been to my events, but he had been. You changed my life. I made all this money in my business. He literally went on for like 15 minutes, and he finally went, okay, thank you for hearing all that. I really want to thank you, but now I got to be your doctor. And he literally does this. He looks at me and says, this is your spine. He puts it up on the screen. He says, life as you know it is over. And I pause, and I was like, you didn't go to my communication seminar. Right, clearly, did clearly. you? Right, you know, trying to laugh. He said, "This is not funny." He said, "You cannot snowboard. You cannot run. You cannot jump. My entire life, right? You can't do those things." He says, "You see this, this, this." He goes, "One good hit." And I've been in pain for fourteen years. This, you have severe spinal stenosis. One good hit, and you may not be able to walk again. Not be able to use an arm again. And I'm like, and you know, I'm a strong guy, but. Somebody punches you and you're ready. It's one thing. Somebody punches you're not ready. I, I literally, I, I left. I got in the car. I cried. I called my wife. I don't usually cry like that. But I was like, holy shit, is my yeah. life over, you know? Yeah. And then, you know, the part of me that knows better, there is a solution. You're going to find the way kicked in. And, and so I called Peter Diamandis, who's a rocket scientist, but he's also an MD from Harvard and a good friend of mine, a partner. And he knows everybody in the tech business. And I'd asked all these doctors about stem cells, mm-hmm. right? Because I have some of the greatest athletes of all time are, are my you know, people that I coach and my clients. And so like Cristiano Ronaldo, like he was supposed to be out for three months, the greatest soccer player of all time, two and a half weeks, he's back because of stem cells, right? So they all said, no, 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 it won't work. So I said, Peter, who's the best expert on stem cells in the world? And he said, well, he's somebody you met once. He said, really? He goes, Dr. Bob Harari. And he was a neurosurgeon. I said, he knows about stem cells? He said, he's one of the father of stem cells. He did these original studies where they took old rats 38 years ago, yeah. almost 40 years ago, Gave them young rats' blood, and they got younger. Their skin turned, their hair turned black again. Their muscles got stronger. And then they reversed it and gave the old blood to the young rats, and they got older. So it started that thing that you heard about in Silicon Valley, young blood they were all looking for. It's crazy. But it led to discovering what stem cells really do and how they are. 
So he said to me, Tony, and by the way, meeting him is like, you know, somebody says, I want to learn about basketball. And you say, well, meet my friend LeBron James. Right, <laughs> he's, right. he's that smart. Yeah. So I meet Bob and he says, Tony, uh, a lot of people in America go get stem cells, and, you know, use their own body to do it. It's called autologist, mm-hmm. meaning the ones from you. He said, but, you know, maybe for an elbow or a wrist that could work. But once you turn 40, they drop off the cliff. And he said, and you're 53, doesn't matter how fit you are, those stem cells are dropping. He said, so for this, that won't do it. You need like the force of life, life force. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you need like 40 old stem cells. And I said, well, I don't want fetal tissue under any circumstance. He goes, no, it's not fetal tissue. They don't do that anymore. I said, and and I would never recommend it. I said, well, what is it? He goes, well, when a baby's born. I love this chapter in the book. Isn't it beautiful? It blew my mind. Yeah, you you know, you've got the force of life in the placenta. It's like the 3D printer of the baby. It's got all of the protein factors and all the stem cells, and you have the cord. And, you know, most parents now, when you're having a baby in the hospital, they yeah. give you that option. Yeah. Bob's the one who created that option. That's so crazy. So, I mean, he's the guy. So I said, okay, so what do I do? He goes, I'll tell you where to go. They'll give you cord stem cells, four days old, force of life. And he said, you can always go back to the surgery, but I believe this will heal you. So I did actually, yeah, four days, three and a half days. And it was just one ID a day for 20 minutes, an IV and a shot. And the first day, I felt really tired. I went to sleep early, which is not usually what I do. And the second day, I had a cytokine response, kind of a cold and shaking thing for about 15 minutes. I wasn't scared. I knew what it was. And then I went to sleep, and I woke up the next morning. And not only was my shoulder perfect, I have an MRI. This was four years ago. I have no problem. Never had another problem with my shoulder. But also, I had no pain in my spine for the first time in 14 years, Rachel. So I became obsessed. I want to know everything about stem cells. But what I found out is it isn't just stem cells. There's this revolution in precision medicine and regenerative medicine that's been happening. But again, most people are 20 years behind, docs. They don't have time to update what they're doing. So most of them don't know about it or they think it's hype. But you go to Nobel laureates, the 150 I did, you go to the best scientists in the world, the best doctors in the world, they all know about it. And those people know get the benefits. Like where ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain. Ignorance is disease. Ignorance can be death. So I got invited by the Pope to speak. This is like the story's Did unbelievable. Did you fly there it's in your helicopter? No, I didn't fly my helicopter. It'd be a long helicopter flight. <laughs> but I got invited. The Vatican every two years has the biggest conference on stem cell and regenerative medicine. And they bring all the best scientists from around the world in here. And suddenly what happens? You, I get to meet all these scientists. I'm supposed to be the cleanup speaker. I went to every class. And I met people sent home to die. Not harshly. It's just their, their treatments their, couldn't help them anymore of their cancers. And I met at least a dozen, more than a dozen. And I met Dr. Carl June and got something called CAR T-cells. And here they are six years later, totally healthy, cancer-free. I met uh, Jack Nicholas, the greatest golfer of all time. And he couldn't stand for more than 10 minutes with unbelievable pain. They're going to fuse his spine, which only works about half the time. And even then you lose all your mobility. And he did stem cells instead. Now he's 82 years old and plays golf and tennis again. So that came out. I was like, okay. I want to do like I did with Money Master the Game. I'm going to go interview the best on earth, and I'm going to bring this to the general populace, make it really simple, and show them what's here right now, and then things that are within 12 to 36 months. So I can do this today, and this is what's coming, right. and not 20 years in the future. And so that's what we did, and we're donating all the money from the book. I got uh, Bob Harari to join me as a co-author, and Peter, and I got them convinced to do what I've done my last three books. We donated all the money. I feed. I got fed when I was a young boy, so I've been feeding people, feeding America. I said I'd I'd feed 100 million people every year to a billion people in 10 years. We're seven years in it. We're 850 million meals. So this will provide another 20 million meals. 
and the balance of the profits are helping with Alzheimer's, cancer, and heart disease. That's it's a big story. but Yeah, <laughs> but what I loved about that chapter was a placenta is typically medical waste. That's right. It's just being thrown away. And also in so many cultures, they actually honor the placenta or yes. they turn it into something and they eat it. That's they turn right. it into powders and pills. And so it's almost like that the the information was there and we just didn't have it. That's right. And to see that, seriously, that chapter, the like the spray gun that, yeah, um, that for amazing? a burn victim. So that, people know burn victims normally, people don't know this. The reason they look so scarred because besides the fact they're burned is the way to keep them alive is they use cadaver skin over their face. And now they can take your own stem cells, and this is in about a dozen hospitals, spray it on you. And there's a picture there. You saw yeah. it. And you go to video. And literally six weeks later, you can't tell they were burned. I mean, that's the world we live in right now. But if you don't know, wow. you're going to do what everybody else does. And right. your child could be burned, and you wouldn't know this. Now, if your child burned, you need to know this exists. Yeah. And you can go make this happen. We're talking about all of these advancements in medicine, which is so inspiring and exciting. And you can feel your passion. You can feel your passion in the book, too. I'm curious, what's the balance for the power of our minds? Um, You know, sort of going back to a more spiritual side of, like you talked about, you can worry enough and fear enough that you are creating illness in your body. So what is the balance for people of like, inform yourself, get help, like trust in God, but lock your car. Yes. You know, so how do you, um, when you approach your own health or your family's health, how do you um, balance those two things? I start with the mind and emotions. And uh, to me, that's not, I don't tell people to believe uh, spiritually or religiously, but I believe prayer is a very useful thing. Reminding yourself you're not the center of the universe and asking for guidance and help and other things to do that. I, I personally believe that, but not everybody does. And I don't tell people they have to, but it starts there. But there's also, when you have a spiritual side of your life, there's a lot less anxiety because you believe there's something greater than yourself. Right. And then you do your part. Yeah. Like you said, I use, a, I use a similar metaphor when I say it's, you know, trusting God and tie up your camels, you know, yeah. type of thing, right? But uh, what, what most people don't know is the power of their mind. So there's an entire, last two chapters of the book, if no one reads anything else, I'd say, please read those two chapters. Because if you do everything physically well, if you don't manage your mind and emotions, you'll get sick. Right. And so um, placebos, let's just take a moment for that. So everybody's heard of placebos, an inert substance that somehow is used to heal the body. Well, by that inert substance, your brain becomes convinced something happened, and then it does what it needs to do to heal. So most people don't know, they were only discovered in World War II. It was discovered because this surgeon, was actually the, the nurse that did this, but the surgeon was trying to save people's lives, and you've got to give them morphine because of the pain, and also you don't want them going to shock because then they die. And they ran out of morphine. And so the doctor's freaking out. And a nurse, who they don't even say her name. They just said a nurse. I wish we knew because she's a really important person. She handed him a syringe, filled it with saline solution. It said, Doc, we still have some more morphine. Because she was wanting to comfort the people there. So he believed it. So when he looked in the eyes of these people, he said, you will be out of pain in the next two minutes. Like he would normally say, I know it's the seal's insane. You'll be fine. You're going to make it. Not one went in shock. 90% of them were out of pain. And they gave them no drugs. Right. So after World War II, he went back to Harvard, and he was the doctor that started the studies that now we almost compare every drug to a placebo. But what they don't talk about a lot of times is often placebos are as or more effective than the drugs, but you don't make billions of dollars talking about placebos, right? So, but here's something else your audience should know, because it tells you the power of your mind. The size of the intervention affects your certainty and how quickly you, you heal. Okay, say that again. Break that down. I'll give you an example. A small pill versus a large pill. 
And we see a very big difference in the speed and power of healing. No way. Even though there's nothing in the pill, okay? A injection, much bigger response to an injection than a pill because you go, wow, something really happened. A fake surgery, a placebo surgery, the VA, I put this in the book, Veterans Administration was doing arthroscopic surgery on people's knees. So they decided to take a third of the people in a study and do a fake surgery, placebo surgery, meaning they just put a scar across here, like they cut them up and sewed them up, but didn't touch the knee. A year later, when they did the evaluations on how much pain do you have, how much mobility, the people that had no surgery said no pain, they're totally healed. (laughs) And the group that did had all kinds of aches and pains and problems still at the actual surgery. So the VA won't even pay for that surgery anymore. That's how powerful it is to give an idea. But it goes beyond that. Harper did a study where they didn't give you a placebo. They give you a real drug. So they hand you a barbiturate, but they put in a giant pill that's red. This sounds like a movie, right? And they go, this is an amphetamine. You need to be prepared. Your body's going to speed up. Don't panic when your heart starts beating so fast or everything else. And then they give it to you. Well, guess what? To a man or a woman, their bodies should slow down. They begin to drug a barbiturate, shake you through the floor, sped up through the roof. And then they did the opposite. They could do the opposite with somebody with a blue pill, tell them the opposite, and got the opposite response. So Dr. Ellen Langer is from Harvard. She started mindfulness, one of the people that began it. She's done studies on aging. Everybody's concerned about aging. Well, so much of it has to do with your belief systems about it. And our culture in America is very different, let's say, in Asian culture, where elderly people are often held as wives. Very different here. We're obsessed with youth, right? So she took a group, I think people in their 70s, and took them off to the Catskills, to this old place, redid the entire place where every poster on the wall, old TV shows, was from 35 years earlier. And then she said, you must speak for the next two weeks in the first person as if it was 19, whatever it was, you know, 35 years earlier. And what was amazing, they did all their vitals and so forth before they went in, and they did it afterwards. Well, first of all, when they came back, their eyesight improved. There's no way to describe how that's humanly possible. Their blood pressure balanced, their blood sugar balanced, and they look, you see the photographs, you wouldn't even believe, they look so much younger. So it's so much of what we don't have. And I'll give you the last example, it's so powerful. So there's a man named Norman Cousins, Dr. Norman Cousins. Yeah. Oh, you've heard of him. I know him, but I don't know why. Well, it, it, people know him in the back because he was so famous. He's kind of the father of psychoneuroimmunology, the idea yeah. that your mind affects your immune system, yes. like the CDC talked yes. about, right? I met him when I was 24, 25, because I was doing these firewalks, and he was fascinated. So we developed this great friendship. In those days, there weren't podcasts. I just had this little cassette program that I interviewed people, and we sent it out to people. And he said, Tony, your mind is more powerful than you think of. This is a man who, by the way, was diagnosed with this deadly disease, didn't want to do the drugs if the side effects were too intense, so decided when he was in pain, as his body was breaking down, he thought he could heal his brain by being in a different state of mind. Laughter. He believed if he laughed enough, that's probably how you know him, that he could heal his body. So whenever he felt pain, he would go off for four or five hours and watch all these old silly movies and laugh as hard as he could. And I think it was, I think it was 11 months and he was cured of the disease, which no one has ever seen happen before. Not only get out of pain, but literally his immune system took over. He wrote a book called Anatomy of an Illness. So there's buildings, you know, UCLA named after him. He's an amazing man. But he told me a story I never forgot. He said, Tony, not only can you make yourself sick or healthy by your mind, but you can also make other people sick or healthy by a viral response. I said, how do you get a viral response to your mind? He said, well, you know, if somebody's around you and they yawn, and you're like, oh, don't do that. And you find yourself yawning or somebody's laughing. It's not that funny, but they're having such a good time. You find yourself laughing. He goes, that happens with people's idea of illness. 
So we'll give me an example. He said, well, I'll tell you, I went to a college football game. He said, I'm in the stands. He said, all of a sudden, this person about 20 rows away starts projectile vomiting. And they call for the doctor who's on staff. They come and grab this man. They're trying to see what's wrong with him. And they're asking, trying to ask him questions. They calm him down. They're putting cold presses on him and to see, like, what, what did you do today? What's trying to find something different to see what the source would be. And the man mentioned that about 30 minutes before, he'd gone to the vending machine and bought this Coke. So the doc thought, maybe there's something in the electronics there that's leaking. There's some poison that's getting in there. So, so no one else would get sick. He announces over the loudspeaker at halftime, please avoid the vending machines. We may have a real challenge with them. We have a man who got very sick. We just want to be careful. He said, Tony, it was like a cartoon. He said, within five to 10 minutes, people are projectile vomiting all over the place. They had 12 ambulances taking people to two different hospitals. And then about an hour and a half later, somebody, they did these tests and found there was nothing wrong with it. And they told everybody it was fine and everybody got healed. So that's the power your mind has. And so most of us, like, you know, when we have kids, man or woman, you tend to worry more, right? It's just the nature of things. But sometimes those worries are not only sucking the energy out of your body, but also your kids learn to be fearful because they sense you're fearful. And so one of the greatest things is learning how to take control of your mind. And so I have a whole chapter on like the three decisions that people make that if you take control of those, you're going to be in a completely different place. And, And then training yourself to have a habit because most people have like a highway to stress and a dirt road to happiness, but that's just conditioning. Right. And there's simple ways to get into yourself. So after a while, you have a highway to happiness yeah. and a dirt road to stress. And then you have a different life. Then mothering, fathering, business, life, relationships start to transform. Right. I want people to hear this because just in case they haven't been to a UPW before, understanding that they have the ability to reprogram their mind. Yes. Um, and I think so many people, women especially, sort of accept it as a lot in life. Kind of like, well, this is the way we're wired or this is how my people are or this is our genes. And it's not true. I mean, everything you're saying in the last 20 minutes, it makes me want to like, I don't want to break your mirror, but I sort of do <laughs> because it, I, I just, why aren't people talking about this? Our minds are so powerful and the, in the, we reach for the quick fix, right? Yeah. We want the alcohol. We want the pill. We want the thing that's going to solve it. Or even Tylenol. I, right. I write about that in the book. You can't right. believe the side effects of Tylenol. It burns right. holes in your liver, and it gets promoted for things that it does nothing for. Yeah. It's just really good marketing. It's been around forever. So, yeah, we, we think it's something outside of ourselves. But you mentioned something really important. This is, this is my lot in life. This is my DNA, mm. right? This is my genome. Most people say DNA, right? Those 3.2 billion letters from your mom and 3.2 for your dad that make up the genes of your body and genome, they do not determine your destiny. Doctors and anybody who's really in science knows it today. They still teach in some schools, but it's not true. Right. It's the plan. But which genes turn on or off? Two people have the same genome and have a totally different reaction. Which genes get turned on or off determines your life? And that's based on something called the epigenome. EPI, epi means above. Right. So a good metaphor to keep it simple Imagine the piano is your DNA and the piano player is your epigenome, but that's affected by your diet, how much you move or exercise, how much you sleep or don't sleep, what kind of food you eat, how many chemicals you're exposed to, radiation. But there's something really cool. It's a little technical, but it's in the book, so you don't have to remember this, but I want people to know besides the mind, you want to give the body the energy so the mind works, right? right? They, They affect each other. And so there's a man who's probably the top longevity expert in the world, Dr. Sinclair out of Harvard. He's 53 years old, but he's 33 years old biochemically. His dad is 80 when his dad was, I think, 71. 
he started to lose cognition. He couldn't, you know, exercise anymore. He stayed home and started to dissipate. So when he started discovering these ways of slowing and actually, in some cases, appears to reverse the aging, which sounded, imp- if you said that three years ago, people would say you're insane. But there have been a Nobel Prize winner that did it in animals, and then David's done it in animals, and then David started using himself and his father. His father now outlifts him in the gym, walks two to three miles a day to give you perspective. And what's making that change? So here's, here's the magic. You, most people know that this force of energy comes from every cell in your body called mitochondria. They are the furnaces that build your energy. Those mitochondria create something called ATP. It's like the batteries. If someone gets cyanide, the reason people die in 30 seconds is it cuts all the oxygen and literally you can't create energy in the body, right? So most people have heard that. It's interesting. But what they don't know is there are seven specific genes. There's a term for them called sirtuins. No one has to remember that. But these seven genes do two really important and competing things. And this will help moms at home and help them understand the people they care about. The first thing that these genes do is they turn on and off your genes. If the right genes are turned on, you're going to be great. You're going to stay young. The wrongs are on, you're going to age quickly. You're going to break down from disease. Second thing these special genes do is they reduce inflammation in the body, which is the basis of most breakdown. And the third thing they do is help food get converted for mitochondria as the source of energy. That alone makes them priceless. But then they have a second task. As you get older, once you, you know, leave your 20s and 30s and enter 40s and 50s and beyond, your DNA gets corrupted by radiation, by exposure, by chemicals in the environment. And so no problem. These sirtuins, these master genes, go in and clean it up. It's just one problem. They need a fuel called NAD. And NAD drops off the clip in your mid-40s, and by 50s, you literally lost 50% of it. Mm. So now there's no fuel for these master genes. So now your inflammation increases in your body. Genes that should be off get turned on. You have less energy for everything, including cognition. And all this is competing with trying to keep your DNA cleaned up. And as you get older, you accumulate those challenges. So right at the time you need it most, it all starts to break down. And that's what we call aging. There is a solution. It sounds like a horrible thing. Another a metaphor for it would be like if you had a beautiful mansion and you were lucky enough to have this incredible young staff and everything always looks perfect because it breaks down, they fix it. You don't even notice it. Boom, 7 billion cells die. 7 billion liver cells are put right back in place. That's your body. That's their twins. But as they get older, your staff gets a little senile, forgets things, and now you don't give them the, the resources, and all of a sudden your mansion turns to a collapse. That's aging. So how do we prevent that? Literally, the science today is showing how they're able to not only slow it, but in some cases start to reverse it. So those NAD that have dropped off can be brought back, and the way it can be brought back is there's something helps create it, a precursor, it's the last term I'll give you, NMN, like never, mother, never, okay? Okay. And that NMN is something your body naturally makes, but you can get in a supplemented form. Mm. That then lets the NAD fuel, so now your sirtuins do all this incredible work that keeps you young and strong. That's how he's 53, but really 33, because he has a series of ways he stimulates that. So the only problem is, I have a company that does this, and I'm, I'm now, David's a dear friend of mine, and so we tested six products on the market. Some were like $39 a month, some were $129 a month. Not a single one had any NMN in it. And it's advertised as NMN. And I said, as the lab guy, I said, are these people just lying and cheating? He goes, well, most of it comes from China. But he said, I don't think that's what they're doing usually. It just breaks down within about 30 to 45 days. And as a result of that, there's none in there. It's inert, right? 
So David has a way he stabilized something. But here's the really cool thing that's coming. So you can get NMN now that will start to change all this. If you're early 40s, you do this, you'll see a major change in your energy. It takes about 14 days. Okay. All right? I'll give you an example. I'm 39. Well, can I start now? <laughs> yes, you can start now. Okay. And, and most things you want to start before you need them. Yeah. Right? You know, it's like if you want to optimize. Instead of waiting until there's a problem, let me optimize so I don't have a problem. Okay. That's the philosophy of this book. That's the philosophy of regenerative medicine. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.